0: Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters Show with your host, Joel Zeslowski. T's, 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 yeah, t's, t's, yeah, t's, t's, yeah, yeah, mm-mm, mm-mm, yeah, it's like that, it's like that. This is episode number 113. Howdy again, my friend. Or perhaps this is your first time here. New friends, old friends, cool friends, nerd friends. You all are welcome at Smart and Simple Matters. And I'm grateful regardless of how you do what you do. You know what I'm saying? Hey, uh, how about some love as well for our delightful patrons on Patreon who help keep my writing skills sharp when I send them a love note every two weeks as a new episode comes out. Y'all are the B-E-S-T best. By the way, I don't think I can pull off y'all. I think I've asked you before. Uh, sweet Sassy molassy, sure. Been doing it for decades, no problem. But y'all, mm, maybe not. So let me tell you a little of what's been shaken with me before we get into the episode, uh, at least between now and the last episode, also known as pre-U.S. presidential election 2016, pre-New Zealand earthquakes, and some other literal or figurative tremors that are rippling around the world. First, my oldest son Grant turned six and went on an epic Lego building binge that still continues to this day. It will end at some point, but not soon. Uh, I voted for some people in the U.S. elections and took time to talk friends of all political stripes off a mental ledge in the aftermath. Yes, regardless of who you supported, there are people who were freaking out, still are, for legitimate reasons. But woo, take a step back if we need to. I also finished reading a trilogy by Justin Cronin, starting with *The Passage* and ending with *The City of Mirrors*, and it is now my new favorite fiction trilogy of all time. Dang, it is good. Virals of the many and Amy. Oh my! If you read it, you'll get it. I hope you do. If you like it, it doesn't even fit into a fiction category. It really defies categorization. It's just good. And I uh, also had a great conversation with my pal, Ryan Nicodemus, who you're about to hear from and who also planned to join me for the chat I had with Joshua Fields Milburn a little while back, but Ryan got sick and couldn't be there, so I got him solo and I got to say it actually worked out for the best because Ryan, he just, he just has a personality and an energy level similar to mine and there are just some special places you can go. When you have two Mr. 10,000 watts lighting each other up, we'll light you up as well. Uh, Now, if you know of Ryan from TheMinimalist.com, maybe you've heard him talk in other places, we go into some things that could be familiar to you. Maybe you already know the story of why a SWAT team kicked in his mother's home door when he was young, or how he uses three circles of relationships to decide who to connect with. Maybe don't, maybe do, whatever, it's cool, but we get into some new stuff, some great stuff, some deep stuff. We get into the topic of mentoring, uh, how to ask and get people to respect your daily commitments, how minimalism can gently funnel you into being more environmentally conscious, and why I might just flip out if I see you wasting a paper towel. You wouldn't do that to me, would you? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. This episode, uh, it's a doozy. It's peachy and swell and sweet all mixed up into one. So here we go. I'm prone to being easily excited, but it took almost zero effort to become easily excited about having a chat with my friend and guest for this episode, Ryan Nicodemus. If the name sounds familiar, it's probably because you've heard of The Minimalist before, of which Ryan is one half with Joshua Fields Milburn being the other half, He is an integral part of the best-selling author team, a dude who's wildly passionate about mentoring and isn't afraid to speak his mind in any environment on everything from living a meaningful life with less stuff at TheMinimalist.com or how sweet it is to be on a snowboard. He's been featured in some of the biggest publications in the world, and when he and Joshua aren't creating great videos with their now multiple TEDx Talks, They're talking about the number one indie documentary of 2016 that they helped co-create called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. Ryan, what up? Stoked to have you join me for a chat.
1: What's up, man? Thanks for having me, Joel.
0: Yeah. Well, I say we start where I normally start a conversation on Smart and Simple Matters, a little something I call the seeds of awesomeness. I want to help people understand how you came to be the person you are today. If you would, can you tell us something unique about your environment as a youth or maybe a particular experience you had growing up that still has a big impact on you to this day?
1: You know, I don't know. Uh, kind of put me on the spot with the unique thing. <laughs> I don't know if I really had that unique of a, of a childhood. Um, w- what I'll say, though, is I grew up in a household. Well, you know, up until, like, the second grade, it was perfect. Um, I had like two awesome parents. Um, my mom like taught me how to read before I was in kindergarten. Like it was this quintessential childhood. And then, uh, my parents split up and, um, what I remember a common theme throughout my childhood was money always being a a source of discontent. Like my my mother was always on, you know, some sort of government assistance, food stamps, wick, um, always, uh, uh, you know, kind of going to the government for help. Um, my father who, um, owned a small painting and uh, wallpaper business. He, uh, had, the, he didn't have government assistance, but he was definitely always complaining about money, uh, definitely living, you know, paycheck to paycheck and I just remember thinking to myself like, man, I really don't want to live this way when I when I get older. Like I don't want to live the life that my parents are living. And I remember one day um, my I was working for my dad. Uh, I, I hung paper and hung wallpaper and, and, and painted for him during the summers of high school and stuff. It was probably like my uh, uh, the summer uh, between my sophomore and junior year. Uh, we went to this house where it was it was a really really nice house. Now now dude like we had worked in. Houses with indoor bowling alleys, indoor pools, like some really, really like ten thousand uh, foot carpeted garages. Serious Maybe fancy really, pants sa- stuff. Like some really fancy pants stuff. But this particular house I'm talking about, it wasn't anything close to that. Um, but it was still, you know, nicer than anything my my mom or dad had ever owned. And I remember meeting the homeowners and just like seeing how happy they were. And when I looked around their home, I saw you know, pictures hanging on the walls and the hallways, uh, you know, going up the stairs of of, of friends and family smiling, you know, just reaffirming uh, the happiness that these folks had in their lives. And then, you know, uh, the stuff uh, that they had filling the house, um, it seemed like, uh, you know, it wasn't overflowing with stuff, but they had a lot of stuff um, that would, you know, that that filled every nook and cranny of, of their house. And I remember looking at this and thinking, okay, like this might be something that I could have one day, you know, I I never expected to have an indoor bowling alley. (laughs) Um, but I thought like a house like this, maybe I could afford this one day. So I looked at my dad and I'm like, Hey dad, how much much do I have to make in order to own a house like this? And he looks at me and he goes, son, if you can make $50,000 a year, you could probably own a house like this. (laughs) So, like, that, that for me kind of became the benchmark, this, this $50,000 a year. And I, I remember uh, being at the lunchroom table um, my senior year with, with Milburn, and we were talking about, like, what the heck we were going to do once we graduated. And I just remember telling him, like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, man, but if I can just figure out how to make $50,000 a year, I know that I'll be happy. I know that I'll be set. So that was kind of like where, where, uh, I guess I started on my whole, my whole corporate career, man. Um, just, you know, wanting to, not necessarily thinking that money would buy me happiness, um,
0: it would at least I buy sure you comfort God. and stability. Yeah, I was Boy, there. Man. I mean, I did that for ten years as well. Um, coming out of college, and that was my goal: is to not necessarily make a specific dollar amount, but to make enough where I could be, I could save for retirement, I could be comfortable, I could be stable, I could lead a very middle class life. And I totally get that. Can we actually, can we go back to your folks for a second? Because as much as I've heard you talk about them, um, and I know that there was a, there was a fair amount of love that was shared there. And you also mentioned the discontent that was, um, that your parents individually had. Is there some kind of lesson outside of the realm of money or outside of the realm of work where you stop and you think to yourself, you know, I wish everybody could have learned this from their parents like I learned from my parents? Does something come to mind?
1: Man, um, well, I guess probably the biggest thing that st- – like, the biggest occurrence that, that happened – like, the biggest lesson I learned growing up was probably, like, my junior high year. My mom, uh, she – I mean, for all intents and purposes, like, she was a drug dealer. Um, it, it's not like she was a drug dealer my whole life, but there were there was a dark period where uh, there were just random people stopping at the house, coming and going. Yeah. And uh, I didn't – I wasn't really – 100% sure like what was going on I had a good idea um but you know it wasn't until the SWAT team kicked in our door um before I actually knew what the heck was going on and what I'll say is like that that lesson watching that happen watching that unfold it, it translated over to my uh mid 20s that lesson where um I had turned to drugs and alcohol um when I was in the corporate world. Cause you know, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, doesn't give you a lot of time to breathe and a really easy way to pacify yourself is with drugs and alcohol. So I kind of turned to that and I got to, you know, I, I, like my, my turning point, um, from, from that was, uh, I just got to the point where, um, I mean to put it bluntly, like I was considering, uh, doing heroin because I had maxed myself out on every other drug. And I thought, well, people seem to like heroin, <laughs> like maybe I'll do that. But because of that experience that happened in junior high, I was able to kind of catch myself in that moment. And, and I just looked, you know, could look in the mirror and really ask myself, hey, Ryan, do you want to go down that road? Do you want to go down a similar road as your mother uh, or are you going to do what, what you need to do to, uh, to straighten yourself out? And, um, that's when I went and, you know, I, I went and got help, man. But, I, you know, I would I have went down that road if that didn't happen in junior high. I don't know. I sure hope not. Um, but I'll tell you, watching her go through that, um, also being around other people who I, you know, kind of saw, uh, get pulled in by the drug world, I just, I knew. I knew where that road uh, was taking me, and uh, it, it was because of those lessons that I knew where it was taking me. And I, I got to a point where I refused to go down that road anymore.
0: What? So you were on that road for a long time though, and then you got far enough, and you said, "Whoa, no, 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 not going to continue I, yeah, to go would, down there." I
1: would say, long, I'd say from like age twenty-two to like 27? Is when so it was like you know five or six years or four or five years
0: okay like yeah, I mean one yeah. person's long is another person short it depends on how long <laughs> you've lived and and where you are in your life stages it's not
1: like I, yeah it's not like I was you know doing doing a massive amount of drugs you know from from age ten or anything you yeah know?
0: I totally get that. But during that period, what did that do in terms of your ability to... I mean, you and I, and what we're going to talk about a little bit is we're both big-time extroverts, and there are a lot of challenges that go along with that when you're all about... Mm. I mean, you and I were all about consuming less, living intentionally now, and we have a Mm -hmm. constant need for human connection, and it plays out on a day-to-day basis. So back in those Mm -hmm. times, did you have the capacity to have meaningful human interaction? Were you just on robot mode? And then when you weren't, you were taking comfort in alcohol and drugs in some way. Well, what did, did, were you able to actually have meaningful relationships during that time?
1: Uh, no, no. I mean, any, any relationship I had during those times, um, well, I don't want to say 100% of them were not meaningful because there are definitely people who I was friends with, family members who you know, I've always been close to, but for all intents and purposes, like I was spending the, the vast majority of my time with people who liked to do the same things I did, whether it was going out and racking up a couple hundred dollar bar tab, or whether it was, um, you know, getting high uh, and sitting on my couch. Like, I mean, whatever, uh, w- whatever I like to do, those are the people I hung out with. Yeah, looking looking back on those relationships, certainly, certainly not very, very meaningful. In fact, Josh and I wrote about that um, a little bit in our book, Minimalism with a Meaningful Life, it's the first book that we wrote, but we talk about how, when it comes to relationships, there's kind of like three different tiers of relationships. You've got this, you got your primary relationships. You could probably count them on one, maybe two hands: um, your wife, kids, uh, uh, your best friend, and then you get your secondary relationships—people you were hanging out with. Um, maybe on a, you know, maybe you're hanging out with the, these people on a daily basis, whether it's at work or it's the the guy at the gas station you see, uh, once or twice a week. I mean, there are these people that we see, um, quite often, but maybe aren't as close to. And then, uh, there are these, uh, the third layer, which is kind of the tertiary. It's like acquaintances that, that, uh, don't really add a ton of value to your life. Um, that, again, this could also be people that you work with. Um, again, it could be the guy, that you know, maybe that you're, that you see at the convenience store or whatever, but I would, I would say, that you know we should be hanging out with our primary relationships that's where we should be investing our time, and when I was going through those days, um, I was investing in the tertiary I, I was you know totally upside down on uh, the people that I was investing in, so certainly like going down this road of simplicity and and, and finding this this uh, this thing called minimalism, it helped me to reprioritize my relationships
0: yeah well what does it look like these days? Um, not in terms of allocating your time, because it's not like you've got a spreadsheet up in the morning and you're doing doot, 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 <laughs> mathematical calculations. I need to uh, right. spend 73% of my time with my primary relationships today. It's. I know you don't do anything like that too. But of all because of as social as you are and as social as I am, there are so many amazing people in my life. You're one of them, and I'm grateful for it. But there are all of these new interesting people who are entering my life as well where I think you could be like we could be amazing friends, but there's going to be ha- there's going to have to be a significant investment in our time together and our significant time together in order to potentially realize that or to figure out if my hunch is right. Do you have to constantly pull yourself back? From things that I'm a lot of people who are tempted by the internet, or they're tempted by clothing, or they're tempted by something that's more physical, more tangible. Uh, Mm -hmm. You and I, and I won't speak for you, but I'll just speak for myself for a moment. Mm -hmm. I'm always most tempted by the social, by relationships, and by new relationships. Mm -hmm. And recently. As of a couple of months ago, I, I basically had announced to new people, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. In the interest of my existing commitments and my family, who I refuse mm. to give my second best to, you sound great, but I'm basically calling a moratorium for the next three to six months on mm. cultivating new relationships, which I've done a lot. Have, that, you, have you yeah. ever needed to do that in your life?
1: No, I've, I've, done, a, I mean, I've done a pretty good job. Because, uh, like, dude, I mean, you know, we have 4 million people. Well, I guess it might be closer to five million people this year who, who uh, visit our website, and uh, my email—you could find it on, on our website. So, I mean, you could imagine the amount of people who are like, "Hey, I've got this really great idea. I'd love to talk to you about." Or, uh, "Hey, can I do a guest post?" Or, I mean, I, you know, I'm constantly inundated with with people who have great intentions, um, and, and are great people. Uh, but yeah, man, I have to say no to a lot, a lot of people, a lot of relationships. But what that does is it helps me to say yes to other people. Uh, it helps me say yes to my partner, Mariah, um, who I can you know, spend more time with. Um, it helps me say yes to, um, her family that's here. Uh, you know, her parents live about an hour away. We go down and visit them. Uh, it's about once a week, sometimes twice a week. Um, I, I have more time to call my mother and, and connect with her for, you know, half hour or an hour where like, dude, when I think about, I mean, just that relationship between, between my mother and I, when I was in the corporate world, she lived a half hour away and I saw her maybe six or seven times a year, like the major holidays, her birthday, mother's day. Um, And then when she would call me, I just always remember like rushing her off the phone, but now... Uh, no, I, I make sure that those, those primary relationships that I have in my life, that those get my, my full attention and anyone else who, uh, comes into it, um, you know, I will appropriate that relationship accordingly with, with the, with the time that I have. I mean, there are, um, you and I, before we started recording, I, I was telling you about how in Ireland, I've got some amazing friends over there. I might see them once or twice a year but that's okay. I mean, I'll still Skype with them, email back and forth, Mm -hmm. but like an in-person, you know, face to face, I might see him, uh, once or twice a year. And, uh, those people though, they're like, it's like when we see each other, it's like, we just pick, we pick up right where we left off and it doesn't feel like we haven't seen each other, you know, in in a year or whatever. Uh, Um, so like there are relationships like that where, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like, I don't have to invest a ton of like FaceTime and, you know, go to Ireland every month to, to keep close to those people. Um, uh, but yet I still really consider them to be really, really close friends. So yeah, man, I mean, it's certainly, a, it's certainly a balance. Um, I'm, I'm constantly juggling between, okay, do I, I mean, earlier today, I'm like, okay, do I skip my workout routine today or, uh, should I write? And it's like I'm constantly uh, juggling my time, and um, when people try to get some of my time, if I can give it to them, great. But if not, you know, I will I will tell them like, hey, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. I, I would love to, you know, cultivate more of a relationship, but I, my plate is really full right now, and I don't have the time to work on this project with you. I don't have the, you know, capacity to invest any any time to what you're asking me to invest time into. But people respect that, man. I mean, I've never. I've never had anyone come back at me and be like, "You're such a jerk." I thought you were this nice guy on the internet, but you're just a jerk. Like I've never had anyone say that. And if, and if they did say that, then 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 I dodge the bullet, you know. Yeah. If they don't, if they don't respect, they've
0: you just know. filtered themselves out of your life forever, which is kind of nice. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, what does it feel like to you if you are overdoing it on the human-to-human connection um, at the expense of your work or your health, like skipping a workout, Mm -hmm. for example, or not writing? Let's say you were to decide to just hang out with your people all day uh, and be of service to them and still do good in the world, but not necessarily do something good for yourself or good for the value that you could do for others through writing or mentoring and all the other things can do. Do you have some kind of feeling or some kind of trigger in your head that tells you, eh, I'm overdoing it on the social contact. I need to take a step back here and I need to deal with a lot of these other things which are just as important in terms of driving my self-care and my self-worth and how I'm of service to others.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, man, it's really... And I did this about three years ago. Like, I literally outlined my, my schedule and what my schedule looks like to me. And, uh, so I'll just go over it with you real quick. And I, I you know, I don't stick to this 100% of the time because interviews come up or whatever, an emergency comes up. I mean, there's, you know, there's always something, but the vast majority of my, my time, I do stick to the schedule. So, um, I usually get up about seven o'clock and I will, uh, make some coffee, make some tea for Mariah, uh, maybe listen to a podcast. Um, and then we will, uh, Mariah and I will go off to the gym. And then, um, by around, uh, by the time we get back from the gym and shower and stuff, I'm usually ready to either read or write, uh, by about, um, 1030. And then, um, my mentoring will start, uh, cause I I do a ton of mentoring. Um, that will start at 1230. And it's really difficult sometimes, like just, just with that half a day right there, man, because I get a ton of mentoring clients who will say, Oh, you know, like in Australia, and they'll say, oh, you know, can, can you meet me at such and such, you know, time, my time? And I'm looking at my calendar. I'm like, no, that's before 1230 p.m. I don't, I don't do anything for anyone before 1230 p.m. Mm. And I've lost mentoring clients because of that. But at the end of the day, like, that is how much, uh, how, that's how important my schedule is to me. And, and then, like, that's one of the things I will tell my mentoring clients is people, you know, people who feel like they're pulled in a million different directions, I'm like, You've got to decide what your schedule looks like, and then you have to hold that as gospel. And anyone that tries to interfere with that, you've got to be honest with them and say, hey, I've got a schedule. Like, if if, if I if, if my time is that important to you, then I need you to also respect my time. and We need to compromise on, on where to meet. I don't meet, you know, before this, this amount of time. So from 1230 to about 6, um, I will be uh, – doing mentoring or, um, some more reading or, 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 writing if, if, uh, if I, if I didn't get a chance to get to it earlier in the day. Um, but, uh, uh social media too, is something that I have scheduled into, uh, my daily routine. Um, I, I typically, uh, because of the election, I've probably been on social media a little bit more than this, <laughs> but, um, uh, actually I stopped looking about three days ago because it, it's like you go, you're like, oh, I'm just going to check Facebook real quick. And now I'm in an argument. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've kind of uh, backed off on the social media. But um, on most days, I check social media once a day. In fact, yesterday, I didn't even check it once. Um, I was kind of stressing out about it before uh, you called me because I was thinking, God, I really should get those, those notifications out of the way. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll check it when, when, I, when I get off this interview with you. And that'll be it. I'm not going to get back on there later tonight. Um, I, won't, I won't get back on it until tomorrow. So, um, you know, I, I, is there a feeling that I have? No, I haven't really reached a feeling because I, I feel like I've done such a good job of scheduling my day out and protecting that schedule um, that that I've been able to, you know, kind of um, avoid that, that feeling of being pulled in every different direction. I'm really trying to come up with something where I've overcommitted. I will double book myself. Well, I used to. Now like everything was in my calendar, even the schedule I just talked about. But I, uh, uh, I used to double book myself, but that was just because, you know, I didn't remember that, you know, Mariah and I had talked about going to so-and-so's on Wednesday and then I committed to someone else. Like, oh yeah, we'll go to your place on Wednesday. Uh-huh. Um, but that's kind of far and deep between. But yeah, man, I can't really think of, I can't really think of a time where I have allowed too many relationships into my life um, within the last, you know, six years that we've been doing this.
0: That's awesome. Well, perhaps more importantly, I had never known the extent. I know mentoring is a core part of who you are. And I like to explore a little bit in terms of why. Why mentoring instead of other forms of one-on-one help, um, coaching or volunteering um, and a a number of other ways that you could just be of service to other people. But you were talking in just going through your daily timeline. And I know it varies from day to day, from week to week, whether you're traveling or not. There's lots of variables that play into it. But I didn't realize just how big of a chunk of time you carved out for mentoring. So what, what does it mean to you? Like when, when you think of yourself as a mentor or when you explain what you do as a mentor to others, how do you explain it?
1: Well, I don't, dude, I really don't have like a good elevator pitch for it, honestly. (laughs) You don't need an elevator pitch.
0: You can give me a five minute explanation. It's, it's not a pitch here. I'm just, I know this is so important to you. And actually, it's not like I rarely hear you talk about it, but a lot of people are much more interested in talking about you and Josh as the minimalists and the books that you write and the TEDx videos that you do and your documentary. Mm -hmm. I would, I would really like to know about this central piece of you and how you help people. Why mentoring?
1: Yeah. So when, when Josh and I first uh, started the com after, after about seven, seven or eight months, you know, we had about a hundred thousand people uh, coming to the website every month. And uh, you know, when you have that many people <laughs> coming to your website, like I said earlier, like start getting emails from people and I would get, I, I can't even tell you, like a, in, a, in a week, you know, five to 10 you know, 2,000, 4,000 word emails of, hey, here's my problem. Let me go into detail with it. What's your solution? And as much as I would love to help out every single person, first off, I'm a very slow reader. Very, very slow reader. It's gotten better over the last few years, but I still read really, really slow. So for me to read 4,000 words, uh, it's going to take me twice as long as what it's going to take for you to read 4,000 hmm. words, Joel. How old,
0: so, Do you know uh, how many words a minute? Have you ever tested yourself on one of those online services?
1: Uh, I I have and I forget. I, okay. I wish I had that number for you, but I
0: don't. I read at um, 273 but, words per minute for context.
1: What I'll tell you is and when that's, I'm reading a book, I read about um, 15 to 20 pages an hour. Okay, which is super slow. That so
0: you read slow. slow, got like,
1: it? Yeah, Colin Wright can read about 80 pages. an hour.
0: Well, that dude's superhuman in a lot of ways. So let's not <laughs> compare ourselves to him.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not, but I'm just, I'm just, yeah. For context, like. I'm on one side, he's on the other, and then most people probably fall in the middle. He
0: can also type a book in pretty much a day, which is <laughs> dude, kind of insane.
1: Dude, he wrote his, his third installment of, oh God, I forget the name of the book, he's going to kill me. I hope he doesn't hear this podcast. Um, it doesn't matter, but he, he, wrote, he wrote, literally wrote an entire book in the backseat of my uh, 2004 Toyota Corolla when Josh and I were on tour in 2014. It was nuts. I believe I've it. Never, I've never met a guy uh, like that. But anyway, back to the mentoring. Um, so I would get these emails and as much as I would love to, you know, invest time into every single person that sends me 4,000 word email, I, I just didn't have the capacity to do so. So what I did is I saw a need where people read Josh and I's work. They, uh, you know, got to know me online. They felt like, uh, you know, we were consistent enough and authentic enough to where they were looking to me to solve their, you know, their, the problems that they were having in their life. So I was like, Josh, there's an opportunity here. Like, I could probably uh, start mentoring people, Um, and I think I started charging like 25 bucks an hour or something. And now it's way, you know, way more. It's like 125 bucks an hour now. But that is because the more we grow, uh, the the more emails I get, and the more if I if I charge 25 bucks an hour now, like I would be doing nothing but mentoring. And I'll tell you, Joel, I do love mentoring, but dude, I could not do mentoring 40 hours a week If, if I did. If I did mentoring 40 hours a week, um, it's just it's very mentally draining. Um, that's why I do limit like how many uh, monthly clients I'll take on. Um, but what, what but, kind uh, of problems? Yeah,
0: a- what, what kind of problems do people come to you with? You mentioned you help solve people's problems. Can it be anything, yeah. or do you just generally exist in a few large categories? And you say if you're in my wheelhouse, sure. But do you ever turn somebody down due to Uh, the specific nature of their problem and saying, look, I don't touch that kind of stuff.
1: You know, when I first started mentoring, I offered, there's two areas I used to offer. I don't offer anymore. It was like fitness coaching. And what, what I found myself doing when people would reach out to me for fitness is I would go to, uh, Vic, uh, uh, Vic Murray or Murray, I think is how you pronounce it. um, and i would ask him like hey i got a client what would you tell him and i was like wait a minute like i'm just i'm literally (laughs) talking to someone and then i'm going to my 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 fitness mentor and then i'm just regurgitating uh the the advice that they're giving me so uh, and then the other one was um helping people uh with like drug and alcohol abuse where uh that is that's a skill set that i I, i still do talk to people about that a little bit um but you know, I don't. I don't really have it laid out on my website like I used to because that takes a certain type of skill set that um, that I just I, I realized like oh I really don't have this. So um, it's there's been a little bit of painful you know lessons uh, uh, through this whole mentoring uh, business thing over the last five years. But but typically now you know I'm helping people who are I don't know, if they're trying to pay off a debt if they are trying to move from one house to another and their new house is smaller and they just need someone to talk them through, you know, getting rid of stuff and and putting a system behind that. Uh, When it comes to debt, um, I help people uh, just basically give it to them straight on, uh, you know, hey, send me what you think you need and let's start chopping stuff off (laughs) and let's set a budget, let's set a plan. Um, I will help people, uh, kids who are out of high school and, you know, they're, they're trying to decide whether or not... Uh, They're going to go to college or or what they're going to do or someone who's at college and and they're trying to decide um, how they want to approach the professional workforce. I will help people who have been stuck in jobs for 20, you know, 30 years. And you know, the, it's the, the thing, the thing that happens is when, whenever someone is in a job, uh, it doesn't even take 20 years. I mean, it it could be five years or 10 years, but you know, once we like, when I started the corporate world, it was great because it was new and it was exciting, and I was learning a lot of things, but it got to a point where I was um, like, like, I started on the, on the sales floor, like I was just, you walk into a cell phone store, and there I was like, hey, welcome to this company, and I'd like to sell you a cell phone. Um, I did that for a year and a half and mastered it, and then after a year and a half, I'm like, well, this is boring, I need to do something else. So, I mean, I had like seven job titles in um, that company that I worked for. I was only with them for like eight or nine years, and seven job titles. And and that's what happens is a lot of people will do a job for so long. It's new and exciting at first. And then they get to this point where they've mastered that job and they feel like they're a robot just going in and going through the motions, which they are. I mean, really, if you think about it. So, you know, what I help people do is uh, uh, sometimes it's okay. well, let's find let's help you find uh, something else to cultivate, um, whether it's a new job or uh maybe it's something outside of your of your job that you can do um but uh but yeah i mean it's a whole range of stuff man i mean ultimately the people that i talk to they they want my perspective they are asking themselves like what would you know what would ryan tell me to do in this situation and that is like the biggest compliment that anyone can give me man so like anytime anyone ever signs up for mentoring it blows my mind because they're giving me, you know, hundred bucks an hour to 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 uh, coach them, to mentor them, when they've never never met me in person. All they know about uh, all they know about me is what they've read online or what they've read in a book. So for them to trust me like that, it means a lot to me. I take it very seriously.
0: Well, it's not just you; it's what surrounds you and what you have created and co-created. I mean, I looked something like minimalist.org and the hundred plus uh, g- groups around the world. That you have planted these seeds where when you and Josh, when you've been on tour and you've gone different places and all of these cool communities that have sprung up locally, people, when they go to their first minimalist.org meetup, they don't know anyone. For the most part, it's just a bunch of strangers and they trust that the kind of people who are around the, the minimalist.org vibe, those are their kinds of people. They don't know what kinds of conversations they're going to have. They don't know what they're going to be able to give. They don't necessarily know what they're going to get out of it, but they have a baseline trust that just by going there, just by having a conversation, something's going to get better for them or for the people that are around them. Can I, let me, I was When I did an episode with uh, Josh a little while back, we didn't really talk about minimalist.org and, and the role that that's played in you're doing good and being of service in the world. But whether it's for people who you can take on as mentoring clients and you say, hey, look, by the way, oh, you're in New York City? Go to this website and go to the Facebook group and look at there are 100 people who are interested in helping Mm -hmm. you instead of just me. You could crowdsource um, this much better than I could personally give it to you. How do you think of minimalist.org these days and the role that it's playing and the good that you're doing in the world?
1: Yeah, first off, like the way you put that, like I never even thought of it that way. That's beautiful, man, about how people not only trust, you know, Josh and I, but the community that we've built. I never looked at it that way, dude. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, And it's funny too, because like you go to our events uh, book reading or whatever. And it's, it's the, it's, it's always diverse. Like we, we have widely diverse crowds, but it's always the same temperament, man. Like people aren't, you know, uh, cutting in front of each other in line. They're not leaving trash behind. Um, but you know, as far as minimalist about org goes, yeah, I mean, Josh and I, when we first went on tour in 2011, every time we would go to a, every single time, man, um, we go to a stop. Someone would inevitably come up to us and say, "This is really cool. Like, I don't know, there's so many people who are into this. Um, how can I get in contact with these people?" And Josh and I would be like, "I don't know, man. Like, go ask for their phone number. Like, you're an <laughs> adult. <laughs> like, it's, it's not weird if you go and like try to make friends with someone. Um, uh, do you have OKCupid or like maybe hit them up on Facebook? But like, we didn't really have
0: cyberstalk them the way that everybody does it these days.
1: <laughs> right? Exactly." We we didn't have a good answer. So um, when we went, before we went on tour in 2014, we wanted to have um, a a good answer for people when they asked that question, because we knew it was coming. So we started minimalist.org, and we essentially um, started it with 100 cities, and it's the same 100 cities that Josh and I uh, uh, visited on our 2014, uh, you know, crazy world international tour. And we had a really good answer. So people come to us and they're like, you know, how, how do we, how do we uh, meet people like this? And we'd be like, we have a perfect solution for you. So it was meant more of a facilitating website. This isn't, you know, we're not trying to build a minimalist army. (laughs) You know, we're not trying to like indoctrinate people. Um, What we are, what we're interested in is providing a space for people to meet who are open-minded like-minded and want to talk about living a simple life. Um, you know, if you went to a meeting in Minneapolis versus a meeting in Cincinnati, you're going to get two different types of meetings. Um, we do not, uh, we do, we don't have like an agenda that we, we send every community leader to, to go over with. Although it's funny cause we're at, actually a lot of community leaders have been asking for that. Because, um, you know, some people, they, uh, they really, really want to lead, um, but they need a little help. And, and uh, you know, we might start doing something more like that. Because you, you said something when you were asking me about it that really kind of struck a chord with me about, you know, people don't know what to expect when they go there. And I feel like, you know, they should know what to expect. So well, yeah, we might look.
0: Pros and cons, right? Some people, as the host of the gathering, some people like structure. Uh, so, for example, I mean, there's a lot of groups that I'm a part of. Simple Rev. I've been to uh, the minimalist meetups here in the Twin Cities. Uh, Live Your Legend, local. I've been the host for three years. And Live Your Legend, they are really organized, but it's not like demands from the top down. They give their hosts, including me and 200 people around the world, uh, an agenda every month. And I can take it or leave it. Sometimes I'm like... <laughs> Nah, that's not me. That's not my style. Uh, Or that's cool, but I'm going to tweak this significantly to make it mine, whether it's the flow of the proposed agenda or the specific angle or the way that uh, I guide the conversation. So some people like to do things on the fly or... Maybe I'm just Mm -hmm. a little bit bored with my standard conversation, and I want something from above, if you will, from HQ, and that's nice to have. Other folks who, say, aren't as comfortable at facilitating conversation or don't know how to keep time and to guide things from one thing to the next to the next while still making sure that people can get out of there uh, in an hour or an hour and a half or however long you've advertised it, they need that kind of structure in order to feel confident that they can... Be, uh, be valuable uh, to other people and just not have it diverge into a whole bunch of random conversations where people aren't really getting why they came to get into it. So yeah, I get the tension yeah. there.
1: Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's like you were listening into to uh, me and uh, a gal named Jessica Williams. So you might know, She lives, I think she lives in Minneapolis now. Or a minute, I know she lives in Minnesota right now. Um but anyway, uh she helps me with minimalism.org and we were talking yesterday about exactly that. It's like, hey, let's at least put something together that people have an option to use. So yeah, man, um but right now it, it is, you know, minimalism.org is you know, it's uh very um loosely <laughs> very loosely uh, uh based around you know, it it's it's got an over it's got an over um an umbrella of principles that that they talk about there. Um, but each leader runs it their own way. And, uh, one thing you will find consistently though, like you said, is you'll find, um, the same amount, you know, the same types of people, whether you go to Sydney, Australia, or whether you go to Cincinnati, Ohio, um, you're going to find the same group of people. They're all asking the same question. How do I live a more meaningful life?
0: Yeah, that is an amazing question to ask yourself. What are, what are some of the big questions that you are asking yourself and other people these days besides that core one? Do you have any things that just keep coming back to you over and over again? Maybe there's not an actual answer, but you feel it's really important to just simply ask the question.
1: Yeah. You know, I think my mind right now is constantly going back to the environment. Um, I I did not get into minimalism because of environmental reasons. It's just like one of those beautiful, you know, side benefits that come from living a a simple life is the less you consume, the less waste you produce. So it, it does, um, help the the environment, whether you intend it to or not, when when you consume less. And I would love to, um, I would love to write more about the environment. However, I'm really stuck on, maybe you can help me here, dude. Like you have a good idea. I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm really stuck on how to write about helping our environment without the doom and gloom stuff, because the only thing. The only campaigns I see with environmental is hey, if you don 't stop doing this, third 's going to die in some <laughs> shape or form, whether it 's you know the plastic balls, um, which thank god the u s just outlawed um, or whether it is uh, oil or i mean but that 's essentially the message. If you continue to do X, then a lot of bad stuff is going to happen what what i 'm interested in, in trying to uh, uh, write about is the the benefits of saving the environment, but, but making it, making it uh, appealing to everyone, not guilting them into taking action as much as showing them the benefits of taking the action. And I had one gal, um, at mystic con, uh, uh, for the listeners, um, they could try and look up mystic con, but they probably won't find it. They might find something from like 2013, but it's just a conference I go to in in uh, Fargo, North Dakota every year. And um, there was a gal there last year who um, was basically talking about the environment and such and so forth. And we were having a same conversation that you and I are having right now. And she said, you know, the one thing that I have found is children really love to help. And you can get children to recycle really easily because children just love to be involved and they love to help. So, I mean, I think that's a really good point. I would love to like build on more things like that. Um, because dude, to me, uh, and if I'm way off base, Joel, like, tell me
0: you're not, to I, me, I'm, I, I have questions for you, but keep going.
1: I was just going to say like, to me, man, the environment right now is the most important thing.
0: But what I does mean, that mean? Here, okay. What is it? We can just, Sorry. I, I just cut you off again. But when you say the environment, see this to me is part of the issue with people conceptualizing it, it's too abstract, it's too big, it's too long-term. So when you talk about the environment, what's your thing or series of things, and how are they interconnected in a way that, I mean, we can talk about climate change and global warming, and that is just enormous. There are people who have been at it for decades trying to figure out what's the best way to have public discourse about this, and they haven't figured it out. It's so hard. But do you have a thing or two that you could at least start with, so that you could you could make an invitation to people to do better or to do something different? I mean, we all, you and I, know lots of people who are really good at issuing invitations to others, as opposed to just beating yeah. them over the head with a stick. Joshua Becker's one who comes to mind; like that's part of his thing is he issues invitations to people to imagine a life that's different than theirs and to see the benefits. Of choosing to think and act in a different way, do you have other people who who are like that, who are very invitation based, and how might you use that on a topic or two under this massive umbrella of the environment?
1: Yeah, man. You know, for me, uh, well, I think Russell Brand is doing a lot of good work personally. Like, I I, I love like watching his stuff. But when it comes to the environment, um, going to your, your initial question of what is the environment, when I, when I say that, I am talking about climate change or global warming or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there is a... Uh, I, I don't know how to say this without um, sounding like a jerk, but...
0: Well, let let other people decide whether you sound like a jerk. Just say what you're going to say.
1: <laughs> if, if, there's, if, there, if there are people out there who do not who think that climate change is, is government propaganda simply isn't, they have not read enough. Um, I'm not calling them idiots, but I will, but I would say that they're just not educated enough to understand exactly what is going on right now. And I would love to help people like that to get educated. And, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is, you know, if, if the whole of the entire world consumed like the United States, which by the way, every country besides the united states once i mean even the united states but um every single country wants to consume like the united states they just don't have the economy or you know the the infrastructure to do so so that is where if every country had their way they would be consuming like the united states if everyone did that we would need over four earths to maintain our unchecked consumption it just doesn't work i mean i don't think that um you know i don't think that the human race is going to be wiped out. But I do think that if we don't make some major changes over the next 20, you know, twenty thirty 30 years, uh, we are going to, you're going to see a lot, uh, you're going to see a, 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 a significant portion of, of, of the human race that will start to get affected by the um, CO2. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, um, it's, it's, und- it's indisputable. And I don't know how to talk about that with because uh, right now even even with you Joel like it, I'm talking doom and gloom stuff man, and like I don't know how to talk about it in a way that isn't just that is that is anything other than the, than the doom and gloom. Well, and uh, yeah, man, I would totally I, be.
0: I think you do. I think you do, and I just want to point out one thing. So you um, you opened up uh, a coffee house in St. Petersburg, Florida, earlier this year, Bandit yeah. Coffee, uh, with your pals Sarah and Joshua Weaver and JFM. And as a result of creating your own coffee house, I'm sure you're doing things differently, whether it's sure. the kind of reusable mugs that you pour the coffee or the espresso into or how you're sourcing the materials and the kind of ethics that you're using, whether it's fair trade or other things. I mean, what are what have you and your co-partners who have opened up this coffee house, what kind of decisions mm. have you made where you are an example for everybody who comes in there of what they can do at other coffee houses, or how they can apply something small to other parts of their life which will have a ripple effect? There's got to be at yeah. least one or two things. How would you talk oh, about yes, it in think- those very specific terms?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, even, even that... Um, so I'll tell you what we have done. Uh, so pretty much anything that we can get that is reusable, whether it's mugs or um certain types of uh coffee filters, things like that. Like that's what we what we use. Um there are, you know, someone wants a cup to go, uh, then we have to go cups. But what we've done with um plastic goods and paper goods like that is we do use um responsible stuff. Like it's it's all biodegradable. Um you know it's made with rice and corn uh syrup. It's not made with oil. Um the the paper goods that we use, uh it's it's all recycled paper. Um, which actually there's, a, i this is totally an aside now, I'm sorry, but like there, there is this whole podcast on, um, Oh my God, the, uh, I think it was 99% invisible. It was, it was one of those, one of those, uh, done by WNYC, but they were talking about how actually like using paper towels is a good thing because we have to plant trees to replace that paper. Like that's the wall that we have now. So the more paper goods, you, it still goes in the landfill. Where? Who has, to, really who has
0: to plant trees? In the United States?
1: Correct. So like, huh. if, uh, like Procter & Gamble, if they, like they put out a certain amount of um, paper goods, uh, th- there, there are trees that have to be planted to replace. So like now the tr- there, are, there are forests now that are specifically grown and harvested to make paper goods that we planted years and years and years ago. And what we've done is we've, we've staggered this throughout the years. So now we actually have a more sustainable like, paper goods industry. And that's a total aside. So I'm just, but that's want, not like, an aside. I don't, I don't.
0: That is good. I, don't. I mean, you just got away from it's the doom gone. and gloom, and you just highlighted something that we're proactively doing as a culture and as a country, which is sustainable and noteworthy. How do you elevate yeah, more yeah. of those things in the conversation?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, man. That's that's certainly something I will I will think about. And I didn't even think about the bandit thing. I mean, but I guess where I was going with the bandit uh the bandit example is doing that it actually costs us more though because those goods are not um and when I say those goods I'm talking about uh, uh you know, compostable plastics. Those are not like a mainstream thing right now. So there is a, there is a higher price that we pay for those, which is so silly. Like, I don't know why the government isn't subsidizing, you know, stuff like that regardless though. Um, uh, so so that's where the doom and gloom comes in. It's like, okay, here's a great example. But you know, if McDonald's was to look at doing that, they're going to spend billions of dollars, uh, replacing all of their stuff with, with compostable um, plastics. So it's like, we do have this great example, but there's still a barrier to entry that people are, um, that people are going to come across when they, when they try to go that route. Yeah. But no, dude, I, I actually, I'm, I'm glad that you, I'm glad we're having this conversation, man. Uh, Cause it is, it is certainly firing, um, firing up some, some good questions and ideas that I would love to chew on some more. Um, especially with the subsidies up, I've never really like petitioned for anything, but like that's right there is something I would like, I don't know anyone who has ever done anything like that, but somehow, you know, get something in front of some office, maybe a governor, maybe not the president, but maybe a governor that says, you know, or to start with a state that says, Hey, we need to subsidize uh compostable goods. If we want to get away from plastic, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I've, ne- I've never even considered that, man. But no, that's a. Uh, this is
0: great, man. Well, I'll build on what you just said uh, with a little useful tip, especially about paper towels, because that's a massive pet peeve of mine is wasteful yeah. paper towel usage. I can't tell. Ta- I'm better now. Meditation and gratitude and other things have helped. But there was a time in my life where I would go into public restrooms and I'd see somebody take from the paper towel dispenser. They go and then throw 10 paper towels away. And I could still see that their hands were wet. And I just, oh my goodness, I, I was infuriated by that kind of thing. There's a, there's a yeah. super short, really cool TED Talk, this guy named Joe Smith. It's called How to Use a Paper Towel. And there's, there's really just two parts to it. Shake, shake your hands first, get some of the water and drip them off and then fold the towel. There's a specific approach. I'll link to it in the show notes because, I mean, he talks about it, 13 billion pounds of paper towels are used by Americans every year. That was as of a few years ago. I'm sure that number is higher now. And if we could reduce the usage just with the shake-and-fold approach, one paper towel per person per day, that's 500 million-plus pounds of paper that wouldn't be used. That's something that we can all do pretty easily. And these are the kinds of simple tweaks and invitations that we can issue to people that are not political they're not controversial um they're just mostly common sense things so i just wanted to build on your paper towel stuff with
1: a little yeah, paper no, towel
0: story yeah. of my own
1: <laughs> no it's great man because even you know even if every single paper towel we use is done in a you know made in a sustainable way um it, there's still the landfill issue i totally agree man like you're there's, uh, there's definitely some work we could do there. So,
0: yeah. Well, is there anything we didn't talk about that you would like people to know?
1: Um, no, man, I think, you know, I think we've had a pretty good conversation. I mean, you know, I could certainly talk about our documentary or, um, you know, I could talk about the touring we've done or I could talk more about, uh, you know, Bandit coffee or whatever, man, anything else that you want to cover.
0: Well, there will the show notes that I produce are rather extravagant, if I do say so myself. So all those things that <laughs> you just mentioned, your documentary, which is fantastic. I've seen it three times. I've talked to so many people about it, and they're just really proud and impacted by what you've co-created there. Um, your books, I've read them, almost all of them. They are fantastic. Uh yeah. I'll, again, I'll link to all these in the show notes. And you and Josh and other people, it's not like this is the only opportunity you have. You've talked about them in a lot of other places and done an exceptional sure. job of describing what they are, who they're for, how they benefit people. I'll link to some of that stuff so that if people want to explore more, they can. Um, but yeah, don't feel... Th- this is great because a lot of times I feel when you have conversations, you feel compelled to talk about some of the things that you very rightly are proud of and that have worked extremely hard to bring into the world. I'm just happy that we got to have a wide-ranging conversation about some things that fly under the radar, uh, but are just as important, uh, especially when we're talking about some of the environmental impact things. I'm glad that you brought it up, and we got to dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, me too, man. And you know, of course, like if there's one message I could give to your audience, it would be this love people and use things because the opposite never works.
0: Hmm. 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 Well, I'll link to your social media profiles in the show notes as well. And the minimalist.com. That's, I know that's kind of your clearinghouse where people can get to all kinds of cool things, whether it's the minimalist.org, your documentary, your Ted talks, your books, all that other stuff, Dude, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me for the conversation and for adding so much to uh, a lot of the discourse that's happening around. It's uh, it's rare that I get to have these kind of freewheeling conversations, and it's almost as rare that a lot of value is generated from them, and you've totally done that.
1: Yeah, you too, man. Thanks so much for an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you having
0: me. All right. Cool conversation, huh? Maybe it's getting you thinking about how you can change the conversation around the environment, how you can make this seem less abstract, more real, more actionable, uh, what you can do about some of the specific topics we discussed, paper towel usage perhaps. One thing that's not going to be hard or controversial is heading to TheMinimalist.com where you can see all the good that Ryan and Joshua are putting out into the world if you want to find links to all the stuff that we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness, those are in the show notes at joelzezlovski.com slash SASM one one three. You will also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show in our community at joelzeslowski.com slash support. If you're not already subscribing to this podcast somewhere, I don't really care where, somewhere, whatever's doing it for you. If you're not getting my personal email newsletter, maybe you want to leave a brief iTunes review, you'll be able to find the links to all that fun stuff. That is at com slash sasm m one one three. And a little side note for you, just a little side note, I really dig connecting with you. I thrive on it, and I rely on a lot of your insight to make this show better. So if you have something to share, I am all ears and eyes. My email, if you need it, is joel at joelzeslowski.com. That's J-O-E-L-Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y. I'm on Twitter, at Joel Zaslowski, and I invite you to say howdy, doodly, or your equivalent of that, wherever we both happen to be, online or offline, it's all good. If you can't think of something to write or say or share, just send me a quick little note with your name and one personal detail you think I should know about you. Well, I believe that's all, folks. Which means you've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with me, Joel Zaslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.